Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. We're going to turn now to the reading of God's Word. Our reading this morning is from Revelation 2, uh, chapter, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. So if you have your Bible, do turn to that. It will also appear on the screen. We're carrying on our series in Revelation, and this is uh, the second of seven letters uh, that Jesus writes to his churches. So Revelation chapter 2. Starting at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews but are not, but are of synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt. By the second death. These are God's words to us. Now, when was the last time you you did something really hard and and you, you kept going at it? I don't know perhaps it was trying to learn a new skill, like playing an instrument or, or learning a language. Or perhaps perhaps it was actually something more serious. You know, like working at your marriage or a relationship or, 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 or right now just keeping going in, in lockdown. Because in life, we know this, we face challenges, don't we? We, we? we face challenges, some of our own making and choice, you know, like trying to get fit. Others, other challenges that come upon us, life's hard situations. And in those challenges... We know there are two routes, don't we? we? One is up the mountain to the summit, the other back down again. One to keep going, the other to give up. And the route we end up on depends on what captures our vision, doesn't it? Is it, is it the gain at the end of it or is it the pain in the middle of it? Is it the hope of success or, or the present feelings of failure and frustration? Is it the reward of the future or or what we will lose in the present? Because when when present difficulty looms large, the pressure to give up gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it? Our wills, they're tested. Our determination begins to waver. We we glance to the sides, to others, to their ease, to their comforts, and we, we start to turn back to give in. And here in our letter to Revelation, we look in on a church, a church in Smyrna, 
that is having it tough. Really tough. They are under massive pressure to give in, to give up. Not not to give up on something small, but actually to give up on Jesus altogether. To give up on their faith. To, to get relief from the suffering and by just jacking it all in. Enough. And here in this letter, we get a perspective under persecution. That's what we're going to first look at. Our, our perspective under persecution. Come with me to verse 9. Jesus saying, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue of Satan. But do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. that You may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Here is this glimpse into a church under major pressure to give up on Jesus. You know, in the last letter, the letter to Ephesus, we, we saw they were facing some persecution, but this is on a whole new level. This church in Smyrna, it says we're facing tribulation. That is severe suffering and hardship. They were in poverty, and that, that, that is extreme poverty it's describing. Not just struggling a bit, but really lacking the basics of life. They're struggling to get food on their table, worrying for their families. And their name, their name was being utterly rubbed in the mud. They were facing slander. They were facing ridicule. Not only were they, were they shameful in their worldly standings, but those who, who should have known better were actually pulling out a major hate campaign against them. Did you notice that? Now, why I say they should have known better is this hate com- campaign was coming from a group of ethnically Jewish people, people who had known persecution themselves, people who had the words of God. Now, this phrase, synagogue of Satan, especially in our post-Holocaust world, is, is, is very stark, isn't it? If you, when you heard it, perhaps you, you kind of recoiled at it. But, but Jesus is showing us it's not our ethnic heritage that actually matters in the long run. It's our relationship to him that matters. Yes, they may have called themselves Jews, but true Jews who believed in the promises of God like the disciples... Like the early church, well, they've turned to Jesus. Remember, John was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, But this group have become the, the workers of Satan, the accuser. Whatever their ethnic background may be, they've turned against Jesus and his church. And so for this church in Smyrna, life was about to get a whole lot harder. They were about to be imprisoned and even face death itself. Not only was, would normal life be hard, it would be made virtually impossible. They'd face the dark cell, the pressure to renounce, and then death itself. You know, just imagine their perspective under persecution. You know, what could they see? It's probably their weakness. And the persecutor's power. Because they could do nothing about it. That they couldn't stop it. They were, they were utterly powerless in the face of wealth, in the face of influence, and in the face of might. 
And so imagine the fear of those believers. Any knock at the door. Is it the authorities? Is this our time? Boy, would it have been easier to just renounce Jesus. Fall in line with the world. Life would be so much easier. And if you're tempted to think, well, that was just then. That is so distant from what's going on today and the church now. Then know that over 4,000 Christians were killed for their faith last year. Just last year. Open Doors, a charity that works with the persecuted church, estimate that, that 260 million Christians are facing serious persecution across our world. In Afghanistan, if you become a Christian and your family find out, they may try to kill you to save shame on the wider family and honor killing. In North Korea, you'll, you'll face imprisonment, labor camps, or possibly execution. In, in India, uh, Christian shops and services are boycotted by communities, forcing Christians into abject poverty, forgotten by their families, rejected by their communities. This is real. That the pressure to not risk it for these people today must be immense. To, to throw in the towel, reject Jesus, because these are terrifying realities, aren't they? Under persecution, you know, we're tempted only to see perhaps what we're going to lose. Only see what's taken from us. You know, because it feels like persecution strikes at what it means to be human. It means our means of surviving, our community, and even our life itself. And closer to home, our our brothers and sisters in in Larbert have faced a hate campaign, slandering and ridicule. Uh, by their local community. Elsewhere, a a counselor lost her job for objecting uh, to a pride grant. A street preacher was arrested in Southgate, London, then deposited miles away from home for public disturbance. Christians face increasing pressure in our society. They, They face it to stay quiet. That's the main thing, to keep their mouths shut. If you disagree with the world, you can't speak. You know, social media, we know this, is is used to hunt out the dissenters. The church is increasingly under pressure to toe the line and give up on Christ and his word. Perhaps for you, you have faced similar pressures. You know, it's at school. You know, any mention of God leads to smirks and name calling centered on you. On the, on the school mum's WhatsApp uh, you know, religion is laughed at or, or perhaps disbelief is so strong at any Christian view. You fear complete rejection if you say anything different. Perhaps at work it's similar or among your family or uni mates. And, and our perspective, it gets narrow, doesn't it? We feel alone in this. Under persecution, it can feel like we're the only ones. We can fear losing our jobs, our reputation, and our community. This this lockdown may have decreased it face-to-face, but I'm sure it's increased online with the anonymity uh, social media can can give. Our, Our perspective under persecution gets filled with the the powerful bringing pain. The accuser, Satan himself, and those in his world want Christ rejected and the church squashed, and this is one of his methods. 
the pressure is on. It was on the church in Smyrna back then, and it's on the church still today across this world. The power of the persecutor looms large. It becomes all we can see. The perspective under persecution. And although perhaps this isn't your experience right now, perhaps those you know are actually quite accepting of your faith. Praise God. Well, I wonder if this scripture for us today is is to alert us, to alert us to the plight of our brothers and sisters, and even perhaps to prepare us uh, for the future. Because in this letter, Jesus Christ wants to give us a different view. Rather than the perspective under persecution, he gives us the view of victory, the view of victory. In this, this short letter, Jesus opens up to us a, a different view, a view that, that holds his resurrection life large. See how he starts his letter in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Right up front and center, Jesus was dead and came to life. He is the first and the last. And that, that tips our view of persecution completely ups, upside down. Because firstly, Jesus' resurrection means that the, the poor are rich. The poor are rich. Notice how Jesus describes this church in verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. But you are rich. Now, how can he say that? In their abject poverty, how can he say that? Why? Because because they are somehow, by his spirit, experiencing his resurrection life. Followers of Jesus, may we know we have an incredible blessing of knowing him, knowing Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God as our savior, of, of coming to God as our father, of having the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Even though weak on the outside, we are rich on the inside. The apostle Paul, who felt this tension so much during his ministry, put it like this in 2 Corinthians. Though our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Christ's life brings, brings wealth even though we may be poor. But what takes a larger view in your life? Is it the state of your bank account? Or is it your spiritual treasures? When... When our jobs seem precarious of our, because of our faith, what, what looms larger in our view? Is it the, the postcode of our property or our title deeds in heaven? His life means the poor are rich. Secondly, his life means that the persecutor is actually limited. The persecutor is limited. As we've, we've seen, the power seems to sit squarely in the hands of the persecutor. They call the shots. They can slander and get away with it. They can call in the authorities and put a church on trial. But just notice in in Revelation 2 verse 10, a little detail. 
Okay, I'll read it again. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Did you hear how long it's going to last? 10 days. Now, in Revelation, remember, numbers may not be literal numbers. There's 10 days. What it does show is it shows us the suffering is only for a limited time. It will not go on forever, Jesus is promising. It's only 10 days. Persecution, Jesus is saying, will come to an end. Now, for some of them, that will mean they will be released from prison. And perhaps the church would face a time of peace. For some, it would end actually with their death. That suffering will come to an end as they die. The suffering will not last forever. And even when the persecutor looks like he holds the keys of power, Jesus Christ has determined it will not last forever. He has determined it will come to an end. And the same is true of whatever we are facing. In Jesus' sovereign hand, he doesn't let it go on forever. Either he brings it to an end in our lifetime, or he brings us to himself in death, or he will return again as the risen Lord to bring it finally to an end. An old minister who faced much physical pain during his lifetime wrote these extraordinary words. Every pain born is one less pain to bear. Every pain born is one less pain to bear. How do we know? Because Jesus' resurrection life, his victory, it limits the persecutor. Just like Jesus said to Pontius Pilate when he was on trial, he said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And so that is true with the persecutors of his church. Christ is victorious and he is in control, not the one looming over you. Now that may raise questions of why. Why is Jesus letting his church face persecution? Why are Christians in our world facing torture and fear? Now, we're not given the whole picture. There's much mystery in God's sovereign plan. But there is one answer. that Perhaps there's a clue in the phrase that you may be tested. Now, that could be tested by the authorities, but it could also mean tested by God. And, and Peter expands this idea of being tested in suffering in his first letter. Let me read it to you. That, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He, he is refining us like gold, he says. He's, he's burning out the impurities of his church that, so that she holds firm to the end. That's what's going on. But actually, in the midst of it, Jesus doesn't give us lots of reasons. Actually, he wants us to know not the whys necessarily, but he wants us to know that it's limited. Those who loom over you do not hold the final power, however it may seem. Christ will not let you be persecuted beyond his control. 
the one who loves you and gave himself for you, who rose from the grave, is in charge. He wins. He has the true power. The persecutor, he's limited. And thirdly, a third view of victory is the weak are victorious. The weak are victorious. Now, Sperner, on the face of it, this church are extremely weak, aren't they? They are humiliated, slandered. They're in poverty. They have nothing. They have no power to exert. They are at the mercy of those around them. And if you remember, so had Jesus been. You know, remember how Jesus described himself at the beginning of this letter as the one who died. Just consider what's held in that word, died. Because Jesus, he was rejected by his people. He was abandoned by his followers. He was slandered and blasphemed. He was arrested unjustly, imprisoned without cause, faced lies on a trumped up court. He was whipped to the edge of his life. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was nailed to a cross, humiliated and despised and then punished with the wrath of heaven. Jesus died. He died. And, and so... As his church faces similar things, slander, imprisonment, false trials, poverty, and even death, we know we are walking a path trodden before us. As you face ridicule and potential job loss, know you're walking the path of your saviour. As you face rejection from your family, know you are walking the path of your Savior. Jesus died, but he came to life. The death of Christ wasn't the end. Three days later, blood started pumping through his renewed veins. Three days later, his renewed lungs breathed in air. Three days later, his cells worked in a way that meant his body would never see decay again. He was victorious. He was faithful to the end. Jesus was crowned victorious. In, uh, later in Revelation, in, in chapter 14, verse 14, he's, he sat with a golden crown on his head. Now, the word for crown there, as it is in uh, Revelation 2, is, is not the royal crown, but it's a, a crown of one who is victorious, who's, who's won, like a, like a gold medal at the Olympics, like a, a knighthood from the queen for achievement. He won life, and he won it through death. And then listen what he does to it with it. 2 verse 10. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Jesus Christ was crowned with the victor's crown. He won it. He overcame death by going through it. And amazingly, verse 10, I will give you the crown of life, a gift for you. You will get the crown. What is that victor's crown? It's life. It's eternal life, life that doesn't end, life that doesn't decay. There's no second death for you. No eternal judgment and punishment for sin. No, there's life in Christ The life he won is for you. He doesn't keep it to himself. He shares it with us. The weak will be victorious. What glorious 
kindness and mercy. We, we deserve death and yet he gives us life. We stumble, we fall, we fail, we cheat and yet he, he crowns us as victors, as conquerors with his life. And the, the, the beautiful thing about this is that it means that the root of persecution, the root of the weak, those suffering, facing martyrdom, it doesn't exclude people from life that Jesus has won. Christ's victory doesn't leave the weak behind like the world has done. Christ's victory doesn't ignore those forgotten in unmarked graves. Christ's victory doesn't forsake those who've been deserted by their families. Christ died and came to life. His victory is for those who've walked his path. His life makes the weak victorious. This is the view of victory. Not our victory, but Christ's victory. It's like he changes the lenses on our glasses. Rather than seeing the persecution, the pressure that's right in front of us, he helps us see deeper, deeper into our experience now and helps us see further into what the future holds. No no wonder he is called the first and the last. His salvation, his resurrection, like roots of a large tree, they spread further and wider into our lives than we can imagine. And so, because Jesus is alive, because of the victory he's won, what does he say to us? He says, we don't need to be fearful, but we can be faithful. Those are his two commands. Not fearful, but faithful. In what, in what ways does Christ need to alter your sight this morning so that you don't fear what's in front of you, but you can keep going. You can keep going. Is, is it to see that spiritual wealth you have at present? To know the, the sweetness of knowing his love or the, the power of his spirit in your heart or the embrace of his father as you take slowly your next step forward? And keeping going. Or is it, is it to reassure you that what you are facing isn't forever? To encourage you that Christ will bring it to end and, and more than that, more than that to crown you with the victory of his life forevermore. There's certain hope. But for some of us, we, we aren't facing the pressure some of our brothers and sisters are at the moment. And for you, this word is to fuel your prayers for them, to fuel your heart's outpouring and interceding for them. And perhaps this word is also for you to get you ready, to train your sight now, to to help us see and to prepare our hearts. Because even in the ordinary, even in the mundane of lockdown life, how large is your view of Christ's victory? To finish, I want to leave us with a a famous story of someone who may well have been in this congregation of Smyrna 
when this letter was first read out. His name is Polycarp. Polycarp was born in 69 AD and later he became the Bishop of Smyrna. Irenaeus tells us that, that Polycarp actually learned from John himself in person, perhaps before John was uh, ended up on Patmos. But in AD 155, Polycarp was arrested. He was brought to trial and he was called to renounce Jesus. He was threatened with a horrific death. Renounce Jesus, he was told. Renounce him as Lord and call Caesar Lord. And it's recorded that, that Polycarp said the following. Eighty and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. He goes on, how then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. And so he was burnt at the stake for his faith. Smyrna was facing exactly what Jesus said it would. But those words of his, those words tell, they tell of a man who did not fear, but was faithful even to death. He knew Christ's love. He knew what Christ had won for him. He had a view of victory. Now, we don't face what Polycarp did, do we? Many of us. But we, we see, we see how deep Christ's work can go in us to deal with our fears and steady our faith. To bring courage and steadfastness. And so we pray. We pray, do your work in us, Lord Jesus. Amen.